My name is Jesse. I am 38 years old now, as crazy as it sounds to say. I have a almost five-year-old son named Anthony. He is the highlight of my life. He's everything. He's my best friend. I am a student at MSU Denver. I'm in my senior year of my bachelor's degree for human services with a concentration in mental health counseling and a minor in nutrition. I am also a volunteer for Boulevard One Residences, which is a low-income housing community, and I manage their community garden. I love farming. I love gardening. It is what I pretty much spend all my time doing when I'm not doing school or mom. What I would like to do one day is kind of incorporate mental health counseling and human services and combine that with gardening and farming, which I just recently discovered is called horticultural therapy. There's a whole degree path on it that I had no idea about. I got one of the textbooks, I'm reading up in it, and hopefully maybe I can get a certificate along with my bachelor's before I go to grad school. I am a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober for, oh gosh, six years this Christmas. Think about the way the world is and the way that the world could be. All of our systems are interrelated and interdependent. Multiple pathways for a common purpose. We're looking at a human being and there's a life story. Story, 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 story. Hey, this is what's going on. An elevated Denver starts now. To tell her story, Jessie met with Jana on a couple of recorded Zoom calls. I need to warn you that some of Jessie's story may be triggering. In particular, there's a detailed description of an incident of domestic violence in this episode. So please take care of yourself while you listen. Here's Jessie. Yeah, I was like 32. I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee with my boyfriend, and he was just not a good guy. I was an alcoholic at the time. He was definitely an alcoholic and an addict, and he was very abusive, very controlling. My mom came to Knoxville and surprised me and said, you're coming with me. And I'm like, I'm ready. Because I've tried rehab once on my own, I couldn't do it. So she took me back to Florida where I went to another treatment center and it was the one that stuck. So then I started talking to my ex that lived in Tennessee. When I left, he took off and came to Denver. After I was sober for a couple months, he convinced me to come out to Denver with him. Said we had a house, said we had, you know, everything we need. He was sober too. It would be different. He sweet-talked me into it, for lack of a better word. My family didn't want me to come because they were like, well, we don't want you to go back to the scumbag who broke your nose and beat the crap out of you for five years. And I'm like, it's different now. It's different. I'm sober. The same thing that everybody says in that situation. Well, I get out here and we have no place to live. He is not sober. He did do a good job hiding his lack of sobriety from me for a while. But from what I understand now, he was doing heroin 
since he couldn't drink around me. To make matters worse, I got pregnant like right away. I knew I had to like go to Planned Parenthood. They're gonna send me to an OB and I'll get insurance. And then once I have proof that I'm pregnant, I'll go get some food stamps. But I didn't qualify for food stamps because I made enough money at Whole Foods. But I did get WIC, which helped a lot. I went to the OB Planned Parenthood sent me to. They accepted women on Medicaid. They said, you can see this therapist every time you come in for a visit. I was like, I need that because I'm sober. I need to keep up on my mental health. I work too much to go to meetings all the time. The therapist was great. Her name was Jane. She did so much for us. I had been very open with her about my situation. I remember her mentioning Warren Village to me and giving me the application way back when, before I was ready. That's when I started thinking like, I need to reevaluate. Yes, I want to leave this situation. First and foremost, there's a baby in my belly. You know, I got to keep everything as chill as possible and my stress level low. And that was my first priority. So then I said, I'm just going to pretend like nothing's wrong. I'm just going to save up all my money and get the hell out. It kept getting harder and harder to get out because you need things when you have a baby. I was nesting like crazy. He found us an apartment. The manager was really great. He's like, I'm not supposed to be renting these out, but we'll do it, you know, under the table. You're pregnant, you need a place to live. Got us a lease and everything. He's like, they're selling the building, so I don't know how long, but at least it'll be for a while. We moved in in like July, and then I had Anthony in December. The therapist, Jane, she came to the hospital to visit me. She brought me a baby bathtub, like six months worth of diapers, all these gift cards for everything from food to Amazon. Basically, an organization adopted me for a secret Santa. I was like, oh my God. They sent us home and we came home to an eviction notice on the door. They sold the building and we're kicking everybody out. So I called the Better Business Bureau for Apartments and Landlords, and they were like, well, they can't do that to you. That is illegal. You have a lease. And even if it's month to month, they can't give you 24 hours notice. Like, that's just not okay. So stay there. He was great. He's like, here's my number. You call me if the police show up or anything. So I called my dad. Can I borrow $3,000 to move into another apartment? And sign a six month lease. I wanted to leave my ex, but then I also can't do this without my dad's help. It's just financially impossible. So we got another apartment in Cap Hill. That gives me six months to get him out. He's not on the lease now, thankfully. That was the one thing I was like, I can at least do that. So I rode my bike to and from work and I came home every lunch break. Anthony was thankfully never alone with him for very long, but he was alone with him. The neighbor behind us, our bedroom window backed up to her balcony. And we were talking and she's like, you have a new baby. And I was like, yeah. She's like, is he okay? And I was like, what do you mean? 
I have the happiest baby ever. My kid never cries. He was just so mellow. And then I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, when does the baby cry? And she's like, from like six to nine or 9.30, a couple times a week. And I was like, would that be Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Yeah. I just started freaking out. And she's like, what's wrong? I was like, that's when I'm at work. And my son's father is watching him. And I'm like, can you please do me a favor and just keep an eye for the sake of my child? Can you please listen to him? So I know, because I have to find a sitter now. Around this time too, he started slipping up. I could tell something wasn't right. One time he came to Whole Foods, he pushed Anthony up there. And I remember thinking like, he's wearing sunglasses inside. He's messed up. So I was like, I gotta go. And like my boss wasn't a parent and didn't get it. I'm like, I don't have a choice. I cannot leave my son with him. A couple other coworkers that I was close to saw that. So Hazel and Herb became my babysitters and my rocks. They were caring for a three month old baby three days a week for like months. I remember coming home and he tried to take money out of my wallet. All I had was like five bucks or something, but he was trying to take my money. And I remember like standing up and like, you're not taking my purse and I'm holding Anthony. He like body checked me. He didn't knock us down, but he jarred us enough to make him cry. So I went to work and Herb met me and he's like, we're calling the police. The police came to Whole Foods and everything. And that was the one where they put a warrant out for him. My boss at Whole Foods was like, okay, well we have a Whole Foods emergency fund that employees fund with their paycheck. Like a dollar here out of everyone's paycheck goes into it. And so whenever someone needs it, it's there. They're like, we're gonna get you set up with this. Take all important documents. We'll put it in the safe. So it was out of the house, which was so nice. I think it took one or two more interactions with the police before they arrested him. The victim's advocate called me and said, what do you need from me? And I was like, do you have any money? Because I can't pay my rent now. He was the one who made the most money, you know? She's like, there is a victim's compensation fund for victims of crimes and you qualify for that. So it will cover at least one month of his portion of all the bills. And then Whole Foods came through and gave me enough to pay my rent for another month. What I really needed was childcare, you know, cause none of it's gonna matter if I don't have childcare, right? Like the week before he got arrested, I walked by and I found Warren Village. They let me talk to Lashana and I told her everything. I mean, I was crying, like ugly crying, hardcore. And she's like, did you apply for upstairs yet? You're gonna go apply, like right now. And so I did, I walked up and I filled out a new application and I turned it in right there. And she's like, we'll get you in. They said the wait list was three to six months. And I found out that all of the Warren Village Learning Center folks had told upstairs at the family services and the housing, like, 
she's got to get in here. She's got to get in. You got to get Jesse in. So I was waiting, waiting, waiting. And like, finally it came to a head where like, I knew I couldn't afford any more rent. And I was going through the steps at Warren Village and I had completed all the orientation. I even started doing financial classes with their financial person and working on my credit. The eviction notice was on the door. We were getting booted. And the day of being out on the streets, we got the approval to move in. So on our eviction day, we moved into Warren Village. Jesse's story continues after the break. Stay with us. A frequent question we get about this podcast is, who funded it? Well, uh, we did. Which is to say that this is an independent production that was a labor of love. But our plan is to use this space to highlight some of the great work that sponsor organizations are doing to cultivate an elevated Denver. And if you're listening to this piece of audio, it means that there's room for us to share your story right here. We'll work with you to write a one to two minute story about the good work that you're doing and how it came to be. And then I'll read it and we'll play it right here so that more people can learn about your commitment to this community. That's good for you and it's good for us because your sponsorship will help this work and help us get it out to more people. If you want the details, just go to the contact page at www.elevateddenver.co and fill out the form and we'll be in touch. Now, back to the show. With her housing stabilized in the nick of time, Jessie moved into Warren Village, a unique Denver supportive housing nonprofit whose goal is to help low-income, single-parent families make the journey from poverty to self-sufficiency. Utilizing a two-generation approach, Warren Village provides comprehensive resources to empower these parents to change their life trajectory. Here's Jesse. I started working with the financial advisor before I moved in. They joked around and said, like, you're one of the first residents ever to come in here and get your kid in the learning center and get your finances all organized before you even move in. I knew I wanted to go to school. I knew that from like the moment I got sober. I knew I wanted to help people that have been in addiction or mental health issues and domestic violence. But I was like, how is this going to happen? Like, I'm a Whole Foods employee. I have a baby. I already applied for school when I was waiting to move in. You know, they told me, you're going to go to school full time and quit your job. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, right. And she's like, no, I'm serious. Don't worry, you'll get there. We don't have cars. We're single parents. Commuting is hard and we're busy. So they have this great program in partnership with Community College of Denver where they get the general requirements that all degrees really need and they set up a classroom across the street from Warren Village. I remember my first class, I took history and psychology. I never had to commute. I could go downstairs and get my son after. I could go to work three days a week like I had been doing. So I ended up quitting my job fully around Memorial Day-ish threw myself into school full-time, and I just powered through. When I got that first A, it was like, the addict in me was like, oh yeah. (laughs) I got addicted to like the success of getting an A. I applied for a scholarship at Warren Village, and I won it. 
And again, I got that like rush of endorphins and I just applied for every scholarship that came my way. Even if I was remotely possible to be eligible for it, I applied. I have a really good system on my computer. All my scholarships saved and named and some are easy enough that I can take pieces and build that scholarship in 10 minutes. I remember trying to convince other people to apply for scholarships. They're like, no, I don't have time. I'm like, you don't have time? I got a scholarship, $2,000. I just got paid $1,000 an hour to write an essay. Like, what don't you have time for? My GPA got higher. I joined Phi Theta Kappa Honor Society, where I eventually became the vice president of scholarships. I started doing classes at Orn Village for the residents there. Having that time to volunteer, it was just awesome. I should be graduating spring of 2022. Warren Village, you can live there two or apply for a third year if you're going to finish your degree in that third year. They encourage us to apply for housing, knowing that Warren Village is temporary. Everywhere, every sectioning, every housing that has an opening, apply, apply, apply. The whole building was talking about this new building called Boulevard One, and it was being completed through Volunteers of America and Denver Housing Authority. And they said, you got to apply. Oh my God, this, this is the number one housing place ever. We had taken classes on how to apply for housing, what buttons to check, little things that you might not realize. The most important being that when we live at Warren Village, we are considered homeless to the government because this is transitional housing, it's not permanent. So when we apply for stuff, we have to click that homeless box. Boulevard One came and there was a lot of Warren Village residents. So we find out that seven of us got approval to move in, but we don't know when it's gonna be done. So it was like, they're gonna give you three days notice and then you have three days that you gotta move out. So it's gonna happen like bam, 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 really fast because you can't be subsidized in two places at once. Like I would really like to fight for some change in the future because it's a lot to move in three days from start to finish. I found out I was gonna move in there in August and I didn't move out until the end of November. I had been working on my credit, helping me get my credit up over a hundred points. I moved into Warren Village with like a 430 credit score and I had hundreds of thousands of dollars in unpaid medical bills. My old student loans from 10 years ago had defaulted. By the time I moved out, I think I had a 650. I went to Volkswagen. I still had to pay a ridiculously high interest rate, but that was fine because they knew I didn't have a job and they were still gonna give me a car. So I got my first car all in my name. I've never made a late payment on my car payment, paid my rent, most of the medical bills were able to get off. Some of the smaller recent stuff I paid off and basically got all the ducks in the row slowly but surely. I eventually was able to get some credit cards. So now I have a $10,000 credit limit, but I pay them off every month. And that's helped me build my credit. I've been able to start a savings account, an emergency fund. I've invested a little bit of money here and there in stock. My son has a 529 college savings account. Anthony would have been two and a half when we moved out of Warren Village. He's still at Warren Village Learning Center. He's got one final year. Basically, everything's going really well. The occasional crap with the baby daddy goes on, but we are safe. 
everything was under control. I even filled out paperwork with Violence Against Women Act so that if he comes and starts acting rowdy and someone calls the police, I can't get evicted from here because of his action, which can happen, which is pretty scary. And I know some people have that, oh, people on welfare are lazy or all that stupid crap. I love when someone says something like that to me. And I'm like, you do know I'm on welfare, right? And they're like, no way, but you work so hard. It's not a free ride. I work so hard to follow my obligations and better myself. It's the least I can do when I'm receiving assistance and help because I'm not always going to be in this situation. I won't be on it forever. When I'm done with school, I'm going to get a good job and then hopefully I'm buying a house. <laughs> Women were just constantly being told we're weak and we're also told don't ask for help. So in my head, I'm like, which one is it? Am I too helpless to help myself or can I not ask for help? This is why people stay in domestic violence relationships because they're told those two conflicting things. And after a while, I just was said like, F that, like, I need help. The help is there. Should I suffer from like my child suffer? No, I'm going to ask for help and I'm going to make things better. Today, Jesse serves the Warren Village community as a peer mentor, helping other single mothers to access the help they need. At its core, Warren Village's success is thanks to its relentless focus on removing the obstacles that single mothers face. And with those obstacles gone, stories like Jasmine and Jesse have been happening in Denver for years. This is a peek at what an elevated Denver looks like. But remember that today, almost half of the people who live in our community are still facing obstacles that keep them focused on short-term survival robbing our community of the gifts they could contribute if only those obstacles were removed. And with that, we've reached a turning point in the podcast. We've explored how some of our neighbors fall into homelessness, how difficult it is to live without housing, and how some of our neighbors have found stable housing and are diligently working to get back on their feet. By now, you have a feel for the journey through homelessness, and that's a critical piece of understanding what this issue is really all about. It's now time for us to shift our focus and take a hard look at the macro systems that made the issue of homelessness in Denver what it is today. That's up next in Episode 9. Who are we as a people? I think that when we talk about homelessness in America, what we're talking about at its heart is who belongs and who has access to the land and who has the ability to thrive. And I want to say that everyone can have that ability, but the way that we're living right now, where a thousand people are sleeping outdoors, would not suggest that as a society, that's the way we're trying to live. Episode nine is a doozy. I'll see you there. Thank you to Nathan Church, our editor, sound designer, and barista. Production was provided by Havy Pro Cinema. Elevated Denver is produced and critiqued by Tony Minardi. Strategy, planning, and social distancing are provided by Jonna Flood. 
The all local music you heard in this episode is thanks to our music supervisor, Zach Warkenton, and features Onokan, Greensleeves, and Sarah Slate. Let your hands on let go, let go, let Thank you also to China Caliph, who helped to develop the idea for this production. I'm your director and host, Nathan Havey. If you want to go deeper, you'll find background and extras at elevateddenver.co, like Colorado. And while you're there, jump on the email list so we can be in touch and hopefully get your help, too. It's going to take all of us to build an elevated Denver. With you.